I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Good morning. Thank you for spending your Saturday morning with the KSL Greenhouse. Maria Shaleos, Tom Bettis with you this morning. We are taking your calls. Phone lines are open. It's a good time to call 801-575-8255. You can also text us your questions at 57500. Tom, our next listener says that their Meyer lemon tree is in full bloom, and they want to know the best way to pollinate it. They've uh, been using a paintbrush, but they don't know exactly how to do it. Can you give them a step-by-step? They're doing just fine. Uh, the most citrus is self fruitful, so you know even that might be a little extra. But if you just wiggling that brush around a little bit will cause it to set fruit. So I wouldn't worry too much about it and just keep it up. So as long, they don't have to be so specific about exactly where the paintbrush is touching. No, just, okay. No, just kind of tickle it, you know, with the paintbrush, and you'll be doing well I, we can play the matchmaker song from uh, fiddler on the roof while you're doing it but uh, they should produce fruit on their own just fine a lot of people like to grow uh, meyer lemon trees indoors in the winter yeah it's one that seems to be a little friendlier to growing be, being grown indoors it still needs a lot of sunlight so near you know, off to the side of a south or west window is best and it needs to be turned weekly. But the citrus are quite popular, especially ones that won't get too big. And so Dwarf Meyer Lemon, Calamondan Orange, there's a few others out there, but they can still be moderately difficult too. And so if you're just getting into house plants, they may not be the ones to start with, but they are rewarding because the the flowers smell so good. And then to get a few lemons or oranges or whatever it might be is always fun too. Mm-hmm. So how big do they get? I mean, how what size area do you need if you want to plant one of these indoors or have one indoors? The pot is going to limit it a bit just because you have limited soil, and so that will slow them down. But some of these citrus plants have a genetic tendency to get up to 15 or 20 feet at least. And so when you purchase your citrus – if you can see that it was grafted onto a dwarfing rootstock, that's always the best to do, but sometimes you can't. 
And so you may end up having one that eventually just gets too big, but that will be several years, you know, 10, 15 years at least. And so if you go and buy one in a number two or a number five nursery pot, your usable life will be quite a while. Okay. The next thing I think about are bugs. So are they susceptible to pests? Yes, especially mealybug, spider mites, white flies, maybe sometimes aphids. And so there are some systemics out there that could be used, but when you purchase one from a garden center or a box store, you need to really look at it. You know, it might even be that you have a magnifying glass or something and look at the Mm. undersides of the leaves and just follow the leaves to the stems to the central trunk and look for things because if you bring that home and it's contaminated, it's very, very difficult to get rid of the little pests. And if you have to turn to a systemic, you may not be able to eat the fruit for a calendar year. Oh, so what are the best practices to make sure that something like this, a lemon tree like this is going to be healthy indoors? If you have access to a room with bright light where you have no other house plants, you put it in that room for at least 60 days and just keep it turned you know, once in a while, keep it watered, keep it happy. And after 60 days, if there are any insect pests on there or spider mites, they will manifest themselves and you can deal with them one way or another without contaminating the rest of that plant of the plants in your house that's going to be the safest way to do it is just to have that plant isolated for around 60 days before you move it to its permanent home Hmm, why that 60 day mark that seems like a long time it is it just gives if there are any creepy crawlies on there it gives them time to really spread You know, because garden centers, especially nurseries, wholesale nurseries that grow these plants are oftentimes using predatory spider mites or other predatory insects in their operations and regularly broadcasting them to keep pests at really low levels. Because we, a lot of our growers have really been veering away from insecticides, which is is a good thing. But when you get those home, if you have just one or two spider mites or one or two aphids that you weren't able to identify, it may take them a few weeks to really get going. And so a lot of universities have a protocol of two months before they will move a plant from isolation to a general greenhouse. Hmm. So if you were worried about starting with the Meyer lemon, maybe you wanted an easier one to start out with, which one would you select? Well, Meyer lemon is going to be as easy as any of them. Uh, Calamondin orange is another one that seems to be a little more common, and it's an orange that you don't really eat, but you can make marmalade or process it Hmm. into other things. Okay. And then how much water? Is this like our other houseplants probably once a week or is it something? On an as-need basis in the winter, every week to 10 days is average. And during the summer, every five to seven days. And then any special fertilizers for these? No, just a general houseplant fertilizer through the summer. You know, you can, because they are producing fruit in the winter and you have lower light levels, maybe once every three or four weeks, use half-strength houseplant fertilizer because they are, you know, actively producing fruit and flowering. But the critical time to get those fertilized is through the summer. 
I'm curious, people who grow these, do they actually move them outside during the summer? They can. They need to be transitioned carefully so that you're moving them for just a couple of hours to a shaded location and then back inside. And then the next day, maybe three hours. And then the next day, maybe four, you build that up to five or six hours and then maybe an hour of sunlight and then back into the shade. And so you transition them back and forth and you do the reverse of that when you're bringing them in in the fall. But it was really common during the 1700s and 1800s, even into the Victorian time in Europe, if you had wealth, you would actually have what you might call an or, or my pronunciation of French is terrible, but an orangery to where you would have a greenhouse that all you would do with it is grow citrus and they would come outside in the summer and then back inside the winter, but you would have citrus mm. all winter long. And so it is I won't say it's a common practice, but it is done. It's just that you need to be careful. And if you do bring your plants outside for the summer to say put on a patio, when you bring them in, you get them back into that 60 days of quarantine again, because they are likely to have aphids or spider mites that were kept in check by natural predators that are no longer there when you bring them inside. Well, it must be worth it, if not for the lemons or oranges, but just for the aroma. The aroma of those flowers is so nice. You know, that it's one of the things that people grow citrus for, and they're just not hardy here. Even into St. George, St. George would need to be 10 or 15 degrees warmer in the winter to uh, to grow citrus. But this, it is worth having that fragrance if you have a place that you can grow them because it is just so nice. Do you get very many lemons, though? You can get a few. You're going to be limited just because the light levels in your home are not as bright. But yeah, people, especially if they have a heated greenhouse, do get fruit on them. Okay. Number to call with your questions. Phone lines are open 801-575-8255. You can text us at 57500. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story the struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning. Thanks for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse. Maria Anton with you taking your questions. 801-575-8255. You can text us at 57500. Phone lines are open and Sheridan Hansen has arrived and we're going to be talking about herbs, planning an herb garden coming up at the top of the 10 o'clock hour. So we hope you will stay tuned for that as well. Get your questions ready for Sheridan. Uh, Ton, our next listener wants to know, they're wondering what they can put on their lawn come early spring to hopefully get rid of crabgrass. 
if it's true crabgrass and you need to, this is a situation where you really need to know the life cycle and how to identify it because we have a tendency to call all weedy grasses crabgrass. I think the long-term goal is to try to figure out why it is there and remedy that. And, you know, there are a number of herbicides that I can bring up, but you really need to focus on what's wrong that the management of the lawn has allowed to the crabgrass to creep in. So crabgrass germinates from late April through June, maybe even into July. And it grows fast during the summer because it photosynthesizes, produces energy very efficiently in hot temperatures where our bluegrass can't. And so it takes off during the summer and then it dies at the first hard frost in the fall. And so if you have that, then a pre-emergent product, you know, and you can buy several brands from local stores would be put down sometime in early to mid-April. And these will have a fertilizer in them, and that will help prevent crabgrass from germinating. But then um, you might, you know, if you need to aerate, you probably want to aerate first and then put the the pre-emergent down. And then focus on making sure your sprinkling system is efficient, you know, it's watering well, focus on making sure you're mowing high at about three inches and then just monitor things. And if you have areas that the crabgrass is always there, it could be that that soil is compacted or has a lot of clay in it because crabgrass will grow in those conditions. And also that that area is somehow drought stressed. And so even though it looks like the sprinklers are doing their job, they may not be because crabgrass shows up where there's drought stress and where there's compacted soil. I can feel this person's frustration because they have fairly new sod. It's only been in about three years and they just, they're, it's like, what can I do to get rid of this crabgrass and end this once and for all? Yeah, I I get it because no lawn is ever going to be 100% weed free. And it can be very frustrating because, you know, it's one of those things to where, you know, you adjust one thing at a time and it may take some time. And once that crabgrass is established, it can be tough to get rid of. And so I mentioned pre-emergent products, which are usually granular that you can just put down and they have fertilizer with them. Another option is to use something with quinclorac in it. So there is a company called Image that makes all-in-one lawn weed killer and then pba gordon makes one um with quinclorac in it also called q4 plus and one of these two products could be applied if it is still there let's say they miss the pre-emergent sometime in late may to mid-june when temperatures are still below 85 for especially the q4 plus to see if that would kill it but if q4 plus doesn't kill it and pre-emergent didn't get it then it's not crabgrass and it's probably fescue or quack grass or another weedy grass that's perennial because a lot of times what you use for crabgrass won't touch perennial weedy grasses okay we have just a couple of minutes before the top of the hour news but sherry is on the line in bountiful and sherry good morning what's your question I have a question if we can grow 
cork oak here in Utah, or is it too cold? It's probably too old. If Sheridan is online, or not online, but ha- uh, her mic, I'm not sure if JDE has any in his Arboretum, but I think we're just a little too cold. So St. George or maybe even Moab would be more suitable, but I have not heard of any overwintering in northern Utah. Sheridan, your mic is hot if you'd like to, to chime in on that. Yeah, I don't think we have one in the Arboretum at the USU Botanical Center because I think Ton is right. It's just marginally too cold. All right. Sherry, sorry about that. Okay, thank you. You bet. Thanks for your call. We also have Stan on the line who is in Idaho. Uh, Good morning, Stan. What is your question? Uh, Yeah, good morning. Um, Yeah, I just uh, purchased a acre ground, built a house on there about a year ago, got the lawn in now, and I have a big back area, about 210 feet. I want to plant a hedge in there this spring. And uh, I've looked into this a little bit, and I'm just curious what uh, what kind of plant would be recommended. I want it to grow about oh, maybe six foot tall. Um, and also I've heard uh, bare root plants, and I was just curious about that. If you buy bare root, how do you prepare them to plant and I guess they come to you without any potting, any dirt, or anything else. And I'm just curious about that. We may need to hold you through. And Sheridan, you can jump in on this too. But I would look at maybe some of the, like, low-dense privet. We get up to four feet. The golden privet says six feet, but it'll get taller. You'll need to hedge it a bit. Some of the newer nine barks are going to be a lot more powdery mildew resistant. They're quite hardy. And there are some of those that will get up to six feet. I don't know the exact cultivars, but the red nine barks would be another. Sheridan, do you have any suggestions? Yeah, one that I love is the fine line buckthorn. It's a little bit more pricey, but beautiful narrow leaf foliage. And it gets pretty tall. It can get six feet tall easily. What All right. was the name of that again? Fine line buckthorn. Byline? Fine line yes. with an F. Oh. Yes. oh, fine line. Okay. Stan, I'm sorry. We need to take a break for the top of the hour news. We'll have more when we come back. And thank you for listening to the KSL Greenhouse Show. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent. It was senseless. And I will never understand it. I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.